0: read this morning <clears throat> from John chapter 8 as we continue to walk through the gospel of John a story that most of us here have probably heard but one I think is very significant for each one of us today Now they went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, placing her in the midst. And they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground, and as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go. From now on, sin no more. I don't know if you've ever had something really bad turn out really good. I'm guessing you have. Like a bad day that became a best day. Or a bad season that became a good season. I was just thinking back through some of those days for me. I remember. Last summer, my daughter was home, and we decided to go to the Boundary Waters, so we got up. We actually went up there the night before, stayed at a place so we could get an early start, because where we wanted to end up was a full day's work. So we got there. We had a couple of cars, and we drove up and started to unload things, and as I was standing there, I heard this noise. I said, that sounds like air going out of a tire. And sure enough, I'd picked up a rock in the road up to the boundary waters, and here we were, 40 minutes out on this gravel road, getting ready to leave with a flat tire. I said, well, I'll change it when we come out. So I went, I'd bought a, a used car, and I... I had this funny feeling about something the guy had told me, something about a spare tire. You know, the kind that are down underneath? And I, I went and looked, and now I remember what he told me. Just don't forget, there's no spare with this car. So here I was, no spare tire. And so what we did was we sent everybody on, and I took Judah, my nine-year-old, grandson at the time, and we headed back into town. I just remember that feeling like, I can't believe this is happening. We went back into town. It took us about three hours. And we got back and we jumped in that canoe. And I told my grandson, I said, we are going to make up three hours in the next two hours. We were light. We had no packs. We didn't, everybody else was double porging and we took off. I'll never forget at noon when we caught up to everybody else in the portage. And I know for my grandson that will be a memory he will remember for the rest of his life. How he and his grandfather made up three hours of time. It was a great memory. It was a bad day that turned out to be really a good day. I remember thinking back to when we were in Roso, and I, my immune system was all messed up through a fuel oil leak and it was a really, really rough season for me, but it was through that event that we had to move out of the parsonage and and we, we ended up, I ended up building a log house out on the edge of town. And it became an amazing place for my children to grow up during those 15 years. And God took a really awful situation and and, and turned it for the good. I remember buying my F-250, old Ford pickup that looked like it had been rolled because it had. I bought it from a guy in the hospital who had been drinking and went off a corner at 80 miles an hour and he punctured both lungs and, and broke most of his ribs and cracked his pelvis and broke both his legs, and in the ambulance on the way to the hospital, he cried out for God to save him. And I remember him telling me as I gave him the check in the hospital bed, now paralyzed from the waist down for the rest of his life, he said, I wouldn't trade this for anything in the world. He said, I will gladly live the rest of my life paralyzed for what I have encountered, in the person of Jesus Christ. That was a bad day that became a best day. I think this day obviously began as a really bad day for this woman. There's a lot we don't know. We don't know if this is a one-time thing, if this was a pattern in her life. We don't hear anything about the guy. But here she is. She's dragged out in the public right out in the public square. And there her sin is publicly announced. Can you imagine how she felt? I mean, can you imagine right now if up on the screen your worst sin was scrolled out for just these few here to see? How would you feel? You'd probably get up and walk out of this room. Some of us might never come back. And so here is, is this woman she is obviously overcome with shame and not only that but as she's here her life her very life is on the line because there are men standing over her with rocks in their hands that could kill her big rocks And then, not only is she standing before Pharisees in the crowd, but she is standing before God. So Moses says in the law, this woman is to be stoned. What do you say, Jesus? Quiet. Jesus is down writing in the sand. They keep asking him. "Uh, Jesus, what what do you say? Moses, it says in the law, this woman should be stoned. What do you say? More silence. I'm not sure he was writing anything significant. Commentators have tried to guess different important things. He, he may have just been doodling in the sand. Just allowing the silence to prepare for what he was to say next. After what seemed like an obviously very long silence, he speaks. And they expected one of two responses. They either expected him to agree with the law of Moses and to say, yes, she should be stoned, at which time if she was, he would be in trouble with Roman authorities, for Roman authorities had to approve any death executions carried out by the Jewish people. And if Jesus, however, granted her mercy, then he would be in contradiction to the law of Moses. So, either way, they had him. The only problem is no one ever had Jesus. And so the answer he gives is not what they expected, which was not unusual with Jesus. And so he finally responds, let him who is without sin Among you, be the first to throw the stone at her. Yes, she deserves to be stoned, as the law says. The penalty for adultery is death. She deserves to be stoned. Let the first one, let the one of you who is righteous enough to begin this judgment, please cast the first stone. And one by one, as Jesus again got down and was riding in the sand, the only sound was the thud of one stone after another being dropped as the men walked away. And it tells us that it is now her and Jesus alone alone together. And this is a critical moment because at this moment, the only person righteous enough to cast the first stone is standing in front of this woman. The only one who has the right to carry out that judgment is standing in front of this woman. And he says, woman, by the way, which may sound like a little bit of a, a disrespectful term. Uh, however, the, the Greek word here for woman in our culture would be madame. It was actually a very respectful word that he engages this woman with. Madame, as he would say, "Where, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, no one, and then he pronounces these words, then neither do I condemn you, go and, and sin no more. When she walked away, it must it must have felt like a dream it. it I mean, just a moment ago, she was there in, in utter shame. Her life is on the line. Uh, she probably assumed that within a few moments, her life would be over. And now she is walking away. And not only is she walking away, but this, this righteous man has just pronounced freedom upon her life. If, I, I'm guessing if you asked this woman the worst day of her life, she would say that was the day. And, and the best day of her life, that was the day. It's not uncommon for Jesus to meet us in the worst day of our lives and turn it into the best day of our lives. For some of you here, that might be your story. Well, this morning, as as we we look at this text and, and we apply it to our own lives this morning, I want to ask you to do something. Something that's very interesting and I think very effective to do whenever you read a gospel story and a gospel narrative is to, is to look through the characters in the story and, and ask yourself, which one do you identify with the most? And so this morning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you two options. And I want you to, to see where you are this morning as... As you relate to these characters, some of you, in some way, may tend to be sort of like the Pharisees. Now, none of us wants to be like the Pharisees, right? We we don't want to, in any way, consider ourselves to be like the Pharisees. But I want you to be honest with yourself this morning. You know the Bible. You're diligent to study it. You have strong convictions about what's right and wrong. You seek to do the right thing. If you're really honest, maybe sometimes you look out at things going on in the culture and people. And if you're honest, you'd say, "I, I kind of feel like I'm better than a lot of people. I, I feel like I'm maybe just a little above." other people I don't see myself on the same level as the guy out there who's not showing up on Sunday morning you know you're far from perfect but you do feel a little bit better than people outside or maybe you identify with a woman Maybe you just feel like your life is, has been one failure after another. You live with a constant sense of, of guilt and shame in your life. You feel like others are, are better than you are. As a Christian, if everybody knew who you really are, I'm sure they would look down on you. The last way you would describe yourself would be as righteous. Righteous. So, so who are you this morning? Where, where, which one do you identify with? It's probably one or the other. You can probably see a little bit of both, but we tend to fall into these two camps. Sometimes we flip from one to the other. So to the first group, or when you find yourself in, in that camp, kind of feeling like a Pharisee, here, here's, here's a word to you today is, you need to drop your rocks. You need to drop your rocks. Why? Because you have no right, and you have no basis, to hold a rock in your head. You have no right... For other pe- people are not accountable to you. If you fall into this group, you've probably grown up in the church, you've probably been there a long time. In the first century, this was a Jewish people. They knew their Bibles better, they, they prayed, they, they, they went to services regularly, they gave money, they avoided sins of the pagan world, they felt on some level they had earned the right to judge other people. So what do we mean by that? What do we mean by judging other people? We hear a lot about that. People say, well, I feel like you're judging me. Well, let's be clear. There's, we all make judgments. Someone said within the first seven seconds, you make 11 judgments about somebody you see. I mean, we're always making judgments we're always discerning things there's nothing wrong with making judgments about things if I see a behavior I have a responsibility to judge whether I think that behavior is is correct or not so let, let's in talking about this let's not get into this silliness when people say you know I feel like you're judging me because we're we, we make a judgment about something What Jesus says, we are not to judge other people. We are not to judge them. So what does it mean to drop your rocks, to not judge others? It means that we have no right, responsibility, or privilege of punishing other people. Punishing other people. Yes, there are authorities that God has established whose role is to punish wrongdoers. We understand that. So if, you are a, uh, if you're a policeman in town, you have a responsibility before God to write a ticket out. It's a form of punishment for someone that's speeding, okay? We, we acknowledge that. The Scripture acknowledges that. However, if you're not in that place of authority, you have no right... To punish someone who does something wrong. What would that look like? What it is about to punish someone is to withhold love or concern for them. To devalue them in any way because they're doing something that's wrong. So the elderly couple moves in on your right side in the apartments and you bring them a welcome basket. A young single transgender individual moves in on the left. Do you do the same for them? Do you have the same love and concern for people who may be less righteous than others or do we do we treat people differently? when we recognize something that we don't agree with in their life. You're sitting around the table and and everyone's talking about the latest hearsay about someone, and the conversation turns negative. Do Do you enter into that conversation and make judgments? Do we tend to judge other people? When you find yourself focusing on and seeing sins in others, do you, do you tend to think negatively and critically about them, or do you immediately look into your own life and see if there is a speck or a plank in your own eye? Do we tend to, to, to look at others and not look at ourselves? To drop our rocks means that we don't judge people's motives. Because God's very clear. You don't know another person's motive. You don't know why they do what they do. The scripture is very clear. Do not judge people's hearts. Only God can judge the heart. One day He will judge all men's heart. It's not my job, it's not your job to judge other people's hearts and to judge other people's motives. To drop your rocks means you don't know all the facts. One of my favorite examples of that, my first church, I was a youth pastor. We were in a communion service, and right near the end of the service, we were just starting to sing the closing song. And a 16-year-old girl gets up laughing and runs out the back of the sanctuary. What do you think everybody was thinking? So I went out back, sat down, talked to her. I said, what's going on? She said, when I was eight, my father died. My mother never allowed me to cry. She said that song was the song they sang at my father's funeral. So she was overwhelmed with this emotion from her unresolved grief with her father and all she could do was laugh because she was never allowed to cry. Nobody knew that, but a lot of people made judgments. You know, that person you see, where they are, what they're doing, that person under the bridge, you, you, you have no idea about the facts of their lives. What did jesus do with those holding rocks he switched the focus of judgment that's what he did he switched the focus of judgment they were focusing on the woman the women's sin this woman's sin and what does jesus do he says hey guys what about yours What about yours? Let's let's have the guy who is without sin throw that first stone, and they all had to look inward, and Jesus turned it back on them. It's easy to be looking out there and and not looking in here. What about you? That's the thing. You know, when we start judging other people, we should be saying, What about me? What about me? You know, it's interesting, those who struggle in this Pharisaic kind of attitude is that really deep down, really deep down, if they were honest, they're just simply afraid because they know. They know they're sinful people. And so they try so hard to be perfect, and they try so hard to be better, but deep down they're fighting this, and Jesus, in that moment, he... he, he, In this time of silence, he he really forces them to take a look at what's going on inside and they realize that none of them, none of them are righteous. Romans chapter 2. It's uh, actually the first three chapters in the book of Romans. Paul starts with the pagans, but he moves to the and then to the Gentiles, and then, and then to the Jewish people. He's talking about those that are kind of judging the pagans and, and those that live degenerate lives. And he says, you have no excuse, oh man. Every one of you who judges for in passing judgment on one another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very things. We know that judgment of God falls rightly on those who do such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who do such things and yet do them yourself that you'll escape judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of kindness and forbearance and patience not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, God is storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So we see that he goes through this, all three chapters, and finally he comes to this conclusion, none is righteous, not one. No one understands, no one seeks after God. He's talking about all of us. He's talking about those in the church, those outside of the church. This is the nature of our flesh and your flesh and my flesh are as sinful as everybody else's flesh outside these walls this morning the righteousness in you and the righteousness in me is a gift of god it's not of yourself you didn't muster that up do you know what you'd be doing this morning apart from the grace of god in your life From time to time, we ought to ponder that and remember that we are what we are by his grace. Or maybe you're in the second camp. Where are your accusers? Where are your accusers? That's what Jesus says to this woman who's who's obviously engulfed in shame and guilt and in some ways rightly so. All these people are pointing fingers. Jesus says, "Where are they? Where are these people that were better than you? Where are they? Well, they've left. And why have they left? Well, they've left because they are no better than you. That's the truth. He's showing this woman. I've said this many times. Your sin isn't special your sin isn't unique you are a sinner just like I'm a sinner like the person next to you is a sinner and our flesh is all equally sinful I mean you read through the Gospels and Jesus came to connect with people who feel condemned I mean there's you've been through a divorce We see him visiting with this woman who had been through five marriages. Offering her freedom. Offering her forgiveness. We see Mary who is demon possessed. We see the woman that was unclean with the flow of blood. We see the lepers. We see the blind. We see all those who felt condemned in that culture. These are the people that Jesus encounters. All of those who are outside of the spiritual life in that culture, all who were not involved in the religious community and felt condemned, these are the people that Jesus comes to. And he's saying, look, these people around you, that are condemning you. They have no right to condemn you. They are no better than you. So maybe this morning you're in that place, you identify with this woman who just can't get rid of this sense of guilt and shame. Maybe it's over something specific. Maybe it's just a general feeling of of guilt. But you need to hear these words. Where are your accusers? They've all gone home because they got their own issues to deal with. And Jesus is saying neither do I condemn you. Neither do I condemn you. You know, it's interesting that Jesus here is he's, he's in this place and, and, he, and here's the final thing I want you to hear because this is for both groups of people. this this story is really not about the woman it's really about jesus and these pharisees they didn't really care about the woman they were more concerned about jesus they were trying to they were trying to get something on jesus and so jesus comes and 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 he He looks at this woman and he doesn't say that the penalty of your sin is not death. In fact, he didn't come to abolish the law, he came to fulfill it. But here's what Jesus knew, and this is why he could say, "Uh, Neither do I condemn you. Because he was about to pay for that adultery with his own life. He was about to fulfill the law. He was about to die in the place of this woman and and the leper and the lame and the woman who had five husbands and he was to fulfill the law, he was not to abolish it. This morning, whether you fall in that pharisaic camp or whether you you fall in the same camp as the woman there's there's one truth here that jesus is saying to both and that truth is this you need to get your eyes off yourself you need to get your eyes if you're a pharisee off your goodness if you're that woman caught in adultery you need to get your eyes off your sin need to get your eyes on me i'm going to end this morning with a a video and it's it's kind of an emotional video but it's a a powerful truth you're going to see this woman coming to this realization who found herself probably in this the place of the woman here though she had really done nothing wrong and uh we're going to view that video and then and then we'll pray and we'll conclude this morning